Aloha, and welcome to another Candid Conversation. We're with today one of our more insightful bloggists, Isaac Roller, who recently wrote a blog relative to three reasons why you should become a technician, which is part of a series that we've been experiencing over the last month or so about the value of and the importance of technical skills within the dealership. So with that as the introduction, Mr. Roller, good to see you, sir. Great to be on with you, Ron. Great to be on. Glad, glad we could make this happen. Yes, me too. So tell me, what got you to write that blog? Yeah, you know, I, um, it's, it's kind of been a long time coming, I think. You know, I've probably with a, with a lot of you know, writers that you bump into or um, or industry people you work with, I think a, a lot of the things that they write or, or communicate are a culmination of their experiences over a long time. And um, and so this is probably something I, I could have written years ago and, and, and focused more on years ago, but I don't know that I, I necessarily had the right perspective um, necessary to do that at the time, you know, if we were to rewind even just a few years ago, um, I, I've, I've just had some interactions uh, over the past year, really, with younger uh, people. So I'm, you know, I'm 35, but when I say younger, uh, you know, working people, I'm talking about high school graduates, right? Going to these graduation parties uh, and talking with them uh, or uh, you know, soon to be college graduates, right? Uh, they they've not experienced uh, the the workforce yet. You know, they've they know what their university has told them, right? They know kind of uh, what their high school maybe talked to them about, or or some recruiter at a job fair. But they're not really they've not really experienced it. And so, um, in some of these conversations that that I've uh, that I've had, um, I think that. I think that there's there, there's definitely a, a, a messaging issue um, directly from OEMs, um, even from dealers, and I would call this you know the sort of like the heavy equipment business, the heavy equipment industry, right? Um, that th- there's no clear um, track or or message that would that can be clearly stated, easily articulated, that offers an uh, um, an alternate path to the university system, right? So uh, in my conversations with these, you know, soon-to-be workers, um, when, I, when, I, when I talk with them about becoming a technician, or I talk with them about working for one of the big names, uh, with an OEM or or even a dealer, um, I think they they I think they've they've missed out on an opportunity to learn about career tracks specifically. You know, being a technician, that's kind of where my background is. So I kind of kind of navigate those waters and talk to them about that. But what I what I have learned is that there there now is a like a a divergence happening from the typical university track. Students now coming out of, I've talked to many of them, 
they will say, even if they are still going to, to college or to university, they will acknowledge the fact that there is another option. Right? There's another option to move uh, into a career without going to a university. Um, there are some that go even further than that um, who have not made a choice to attend college yet. Um, and who's maybe even whose parents uh, or some significant sort of person guide in their life uh, is moving them towards this alternative, uh, which is not university. Let's not spend, you know, $100,000 going to college. Let's not spend $50,000 going to college. In fact, let's learn a skill. Uh, you know, let's have you learn a skill where you have zero debt, right? Uh, you and I were just talking about this earlier. It's like debt is going to become a huge issue in um, in a very short window here, right? We're going to see that we're going to see that happen again. Debt's going to be a, a a big factor that affects families, it affects individuals, it affects huge segments of business. And so, so that's why I, I wrote this article. This um, you know, I titled this "The Top Three Reasons to to Skip the University System and Pursue This Heavy Equipment Career." I think one of the best opportunities inside of that is to be a technician. Um, and with these people, you know, these these younger people that I talk with, um, I tell them my story about I, I came out of high school. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, uh, but I had enough influence in my life that, um, you know, from my parents and from some other kind of like guiding figures in my life who could see early on this this paying a huge sum of money for college. And on top of that, going into debt to pay for, that's not healthy, right? You, you need to find some other alternative to that. It was very early on in that, um, in that, um, it, you know, in this kind of conversation, I think this, this conversation that we're having openly now, which is, is there an alternative to college, the university system is, is more common than it was, you know, in 2007, uh, when, when I was skipping college, you know, the, the, the typical college track, uh, to pursue a skill. Um, now it's a little bit more prominent, but, uh, irregardless, uh, I think that, that, that young person today, <clears throat> they have to make a decision. Are they going to go to go to college, they're going to follow this track that, you know, the, the systems that be public school, um, you know, guidance counselors, a lot of times even um, some parents or some significant figure in their life says, you need to go to college and you need to invest this money and you need to take a loan out uh, to do this. Um, or are they going to diverge from that? And are they going to follow the Mike Rowe method, right? The, <laughs> you know, the, the dirty jobs method, the, um, the alternate decision. So my story was, I, uh, I, I came out of high school. Um, I started working basically immediately. So I started working as a mechanic immediately. I didn't have any real uh, specialty, but uh, I was changing oil and equipment. You know, I, I was doing kind of the rough work that, you know, a, uh, what is that? You know, an 18 year old with really no skills, but with some pretty decent motivation can do. Um, and then through that, I, became aware um, just by working with some other people in the industry that uh, my state, Georgia, had something called the HOPE, uh, at the time I think it was called the HOPE grant. Uh, and they said, listen, you can go 
you know, pursue this basically what was like an 18 month program uh, and become, you know, they'll give you a piece of paper that says you're now a diesel technician, right? <laughs> so, um, so that's what I did. Uh, I, I went, I pursued that. I learned a lot. It was a, you know, uh, on road truck based program. And um, that's really what, what um, through that program, you know, I emerged from that with no debt whatsoever. I, I mean, I had, I had been uh, promoted into a, uh, a much better paying job before I was even halfway through that program uh, because the, you know, the, the OEMs, the dealers are like scouring those programs like vultures, right? <laughs> you know, to look for skilled people. Uh, but fast forward from that, um, fast forward from that, you know, now my career uh, with, with, let's say, Komatsu, so we're talking, this is the 2015 timeframe when I started working with them. Um, I had zero college debt. I had always made great money, right? Uh, I, I had made better money than most uh, people who had gone to a four-year college. And I was making that money you know, three years before they would ever get there. Right? <laughs> um, and so I, I learned a lot of things while I was younger in my career. Um, so that when I was competing with college graduates, uh, I, I already had a skill set. I already had this ability to communicate that, that I don't think they, they picked up because they didn't do that on the job in a stressful situation. Um, and so that my experience when I share that with uh, with with an 18 year old who's fresh out of high school thinking about college, that's one of the things I focus in on is, you know, when when you when you choose to opt out of of the college system, it doesn't mean you'll never go to college. It just means that right now you're choosing to opt out, and and you're choosing um, you're choosing several key advantages. And in my blog, you know, these would be stability. Uh, this would be career development, and it would be job satisfaction. All three of these things I experienced. I liked what I did. I was promoted pretty rapidly, um, and uh, and I I had great stability. You know, in the midst when I started in the Great Recession, there was there was college graduates graduating with no hopes of getting a job. They they weren't going to be able to do. They, you know, they had a marketing degree and they were not going to get a job. It was going to be two to three years before they ever got a job in their field. And most of them, you know, that I keep up with today, they're not even working in the field that they got their college degree in because they had to do what needed to be done at the time, right? So they started working for I don't know, you know, Panera Bread. Now they've you know they're motivated enough to make their way <laughs> up to the ranks. Now they have nothing to do with marketing whatsoever. Uh, but but they've had to sort of make their own way. So, you know, I share that story with 18, 19 year olds, and I tell them, listen, my the, the stability that I have had in my life is really marked by that key decision, right? So, and as of today, I I I, I you know I operate my life with much much less debt uh, in a much much better financial position than I would say. Uh, most of the people, you know, my co cohort that I would have graduated college with. And that was a key defining moment. So that's what drove me to, to write this. Um, and, and I feel like now I have this, <clears throat> looking back, I have this, this unique perspective that allows me to give guidance to someone who's, who's making this decision. Do I, do I go forward with a four-year degree 
uh, or do I skip that? And when I do, what's my next step? Uh, and there's some great steps in in this industry, you know, in heavy equipment. So let me. There's a lot there to unpack, mm-hmm. um, and and let me give a little bit of perspective from another angle. Universities modeled themselves off Britain until the 1930s. Mm-hmm. In the 19, and so it was reading, writing, arithmetic, the you know the hard sciences, the hard literatures, etc. In the 1930s, the president of Harvard decided that he could make more money if he broadened the number of offerings that they had. So they took the the syllabus from, say, 60 classes to 600 classes. Mm -hmm. And we've been operating with that kind of model for the last 90 years. Right. 30 years before you started to pursue 2005, I did. Maybe it's plus or minus three or so, but essentially the same thing. And when I was, I went to university, when I came out of high school, I went to university and everybody was making suggestions as to what I should do. In those days, it was easy. You went the science track or you went the arts track. Right. We still had home economics in high school. We still had shop in high school. We had music, a whole bunch of different things. So I come out of that and start looking for work. And it was a bad economic time. I wanted to work for IBM. I wanted to be a programmer. There was no job. So I went a different route for a period of time, worked in a prison, a whole bunch of different things that prepared me for the industry. But then I, I got a part-time job solving a systems problem in 1969 at a dealership and i've been in the industry ever since so to your point today and this started in the 80s maybe a little earlier those the elites of our society decided that university was the only way to go you were going to earn more money if you had a degree than otherwise bring that forward to current times, over 70% of the degrees that are offered today are not, have no meaningful employment on the other end of them. Right. So it's throwing money down a toilet that isn't going to be recovered. So that's part of your stability statement. My granddaughter and grandson, both at university, were confronted with the same type of thing. When I went to school, my annual tuition was around $500 a semester. Books were about 40% of that, so I bought used books and sold them back at the end of the class. Right. Today, depending on what your degree is, mine was math, physics, with statistics and computer science, so that's somewhere between two hundred dollars and $300,000 of debt, even if you've got heavy-duty scholarships. My grandson joined the Navy to have the U.S. government and the Navy pay for his schooling. My granddaughter because COVID was in the middle of her undergraduate, did a degree in three years, she's taking her master's, now we'll have it this year, unless she decides she wants to broaden the scope of her education. They're both hardworking, they're both smart. I'm not worried about them or those types of people. Mm. The ones I'm worried about are the normal everyday 
walk around Americans, where they've got mothers and fathers working in order to keep a roof over the, the, their head, because basically 60 to 80% of the population of the working population is working paycheck to paycheck. If anything untoward comes up, they're in trouble. Right. So next year, that's going to be rather challenged. My daughter, who's a teacher, is following the AVID program, Advancement by Individual Determination, which is a competitor to a degree to the GATE program, the Gifted and Talented Education program that has been around for about 40 years. And what that gets to is children. Children need love, whether it's at home or at school, or both, hopefully. Most families, parents are so busy that it's hard for them to have time to give love. So they get the love at school. Mm -hmm. That's a very difficult thing. So the kids that are 14, 15, 16 haven't got a clue about anything. I want us to start recruiting there. I want us to start hiring there. Have them work Saturday mornings. Have them work one night a week. Whatever it is. Let's see them expose us to them and vice versa and if it works fine if they like it fine we can start taking a program and growing them according to their abilities i've got many friends who are guidance counselors at school when i was there that job function when i was in school that job function didn't exist those that were good guidance counselors seriously intervened with parents in the last two years of high school, trying to get them to think about what was coming next, like you did with the people that influenced you in your life in your 16, 17, 18 year time frame. Those guidance counselors today need to see people from dealerships. They have days at school where people can come in and talk about their jobs. We need to be at all of those. I used to teach at technical schools so that I had the pick of the class. We used to provide the componentry and the materials so that we could have the pick of the class. I will use any device that I have to get an advantage because the talented people are the people that's going to take us places. We have two blogs going up tonight, basically on this subject as well. I'm, I'm getting rather anal about it trying to get it across and it's like talking to a wall yeah um that well i'm buying the skills when i hire somebody and i love the distinction between japan and here with their cultural approach to kaizen make things better every single day and here which is okay now pay attention isaac because i'm going to show you what this job is And then I'll work it and do it right in front of your face. Then I'm going to tell you what you just looked at. Then I'm going to show it again. This is a traditional teaching approach. And then you're going to try it. While I'm here, you do it. And once you get to the point that you're comfortable doing it, and I'm comfortable with you doing it, kind of like learning how to fly with assistance to assistance solo, then I'm going to say to you, look, just keep doing that. Make more, make fewer mistakes. That's your job. 
It's not your job. It's my job. I told you what the job was. I didn't give you any right. any opportunity to make a difference. I didn't make, right. give you any opportunity to put your stamp on it. The right. younger people today are telling me, go jump. I'm not going to do that. Are you crazy? And they're much smarter than my generation. They're saying, wait a second, why did he do it that way? Of course, I've been doing that my whole damn life. My father, what do you mean? Shoveling snow in the driveway. Why do you do it that way? That's silly. Why don't you do it this way? Right. You know? Right. It's going to be serious. Ed Gordon, who's written about 21 books, got a couple of doctorates, taught at Northwestern, and it's it's been published. He says by 2030, 50% of the American workforce, that's 80 million people, will not have the skills that will allow them to hold a job. That's yeah. pretty powerful. Yeah, that's that's scary. I mean, that's well, we've spent hundreds of trillions of dollars on technology, zero on sociology. How does society handle that when right. half of the, the working people, you know, they're being paid for by the government? Right. That's so right. technicians. We had a, a podcast last week with Alex Kraft. Yeah, I yeah I listened to that. I heard you say that. Talk about that fifty percent of the workforce. Yeah, exactly. And good, and good the other insight. Part of that is why don't we pay technicians who are some of the smartest people that we employ today? Mm -hmm. The equipment is totally invested in technology, telematics, yeah. sensors everywhere. So these men and women that are repairing equipment, like what you did years ago, are the same as software engineers. Why don't we pay them two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars like a software engineer? Why do we pay eighty, ninety thousand dollars? Wait a right. second. No wonder there's a shortage of technicians. What do you mean shortage? It's because we don't pay them. Right. Right. So it, it's it, it's it's interesting. So teachers and teaching and learning paths, we've got to redefine all those things. Mentoring has got right. to come back. Apprentice programs have to come back. Working side by side with a man or woman who's been doing this for 20, 30 years, seeing how they do it, asking questions, learning from them. And that's another attribute that my generation isn't particular. We don't want to share. I'm not going to tell you everything I know because then you'll be smarter than me. What am I going to do that for? <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and I think that, um, you know, you, you talked about <clears throat> Japanese culture versus American culture and work. And so I, I was fortunate to, you know, work for Komatsu uh, where, you know, Kaizen was very prevalent. You know, we had um, uh, Kaizen projects that, that happened every three or so years that we would participate on individually or within teams. And um, one of the things that I that I that I picked up from that that I think is a much different experience than even working for you know in a similar role with Fiat Chrysler. Right? There was no there was no talk of of Kaizen or even those concepts. Uh, you know, maybe at a maybe at a higher level, right? I mean, maybe there's discussion, but the employees, uh, the, the the trainers, technical trainers, the technical people on the ground, uh, even the even the technicians, they weren't really brought into that conversation. Whereas at Komatsu, that was a very open and common conversation to have because it was baked into the culture. Now, you know, maybe it wasn't as potent as it would be if you know, we were we were working in Japan. Um, but it definitely made an impact on me. So 
you know, one of the, there was there were some things I learned about that, um, you know, working in Kamatsu and really mastering your craft, or really mastering your career area. There's a word I'll probably mispronounce this, but it's called a, sh- a shu shuhari, right? So you're it sounds like you're familiar with this, but uh, basically, the 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 first step um, really in in learning or mastery, right? It would be to to gain the traditional wisdom, the mastery of that area. It doesn't mean that you do that forever, right? Once you gain that mastery, uh, now the next step would be you sort of you sort of break with the tradition, right? So, you know, once you've um, uh, once you've once you've worked in an area for I don't know what the length of time is, two years, right? Uh, you've been a technical trainer, you've been a technician for two years, and you've mastered this area. Um, now you can kind of poke holes in why things are done that way, right? So you sort of, the next step would be like, um, you know, transcending from that. So now you have mastery in that area. You can do the work just as the people who taught you to do that can do. But now as things, technology changes, the economic situation changes, the customer changes, the, you know, in our case, maybe the machine itself changes, the technology changes. Just because just because you have mastery in a particular area doesn't mean you have to do things the same way forever, right? So you can break with tradition, you can sort of transcend above the the, the norms that govern that work, that career area, even that industry, uh, and and I, I think like <clears throat> I think uh, you know at your last podcast, Alex Kraft, a great example of this, right? With Heath, it's like he he he, he did the work. Obviously, an industry expert, um, specifically with OEMs and dealers, and mastered his craft, and now sees that there are some gaps here that that everyone just seems to be going along with. (laughs) There's huge opportunity, but beyond the opportunity, it's not okay to just keep doing things the way we're doing them. It's not going to work long term, right? The 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 model that we followed historically, it's it's just not going to work in this industry forever, uh, and I think he lays that out pretty you know pretty clearly. I, I haven't spoken with him in person, but I think um, what what I've what I've read about uh, Heave and what I understand about their business model is that uh, it's a it's a it's a much smoother interaction for all parties involved, uh, and can potentially be right. So. Uh, I think that thinking in that that sort of line of thinking is where you where you where you have to start uh, now. You don't have to start, but it would be wise wise to start, wise to guide a young person there now, uh, because there's a lot of changes that are going to happen. And if you're stuck in the old model, uh, you're going to be you're going to be you're going to be swept up um, with the tide that's that's changing. So. Definitely something to take a step back and and um, and and spend more time communicating with you. And I think that age group that you're talking about too is that's the perfect time, right? What a better time to get them to get them actually involved um, uh, in, in an industry where they can they can work within for a long time. And if they don't stay within the industry, they have built at least the most basic skills that'll make them successful in anything they do. Your 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 point about again the Japanese you look for mastery, and then you can bring your personality and skills and thoughts 
to bear. One of the things that's really interesting to me is Patrick Lencioni book, Three Signs of a Miserable Job. One of them is immeasurability. Mm-hmm. So most people leave work at the end of a day and they don't know whether it was a good day, a bad day, or any other way because they have no way of measuring it. Right. Technicians can see that every day very directly. They know yeah. they did well or they didn't. And that is a hell of a statement on job satisfaction. Right. The other side of it is we have more than two, but at least two kinds of people. Those that are uncomfortable with change. Mm -hmm. They seek stability. They want tradition. They want predictability. They want to do the same job the same way every day. Don't tell me anything different. I'm comfortable with this. And there's another group of people, and it's becoming more prominent, that says, yeah, go away. That's Why do you do that, you know? Right. And we have to be smart enough on how we apply the job. We certainly have enough variation in the theme that we can do this easily, but we don't do it today. We don't think that way today. The leaders today are intimidated by this. That guy, they're a pain in the butt, this Gen X or Alphas or whatever we're calling them anymore. They want to come in and go to the corner office right away, get 150 grand. That's not true. But that's their perception because they don't know how to deal with them. They don't know how to communicate with them. It's it's a really interesting time. And that's not a that's not good. That's the Chinese curse. You know, may we may you live in interesting times. Right. But what appeals to me every time I go into a classroom, and I still do that with 20-year-olds, it's it's energizing. It's exciting. Yeah. Go into a college town. One of my favorite is Eugene, Oregon. That's because they drink, they have good wine there. But the energy in that town is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, one of the places that I taught in Poland has five universities, 120,000 students. That's the birthplace of solidarity. The energy in that town, you can almost feel it when you drive in and get out of your vehicle. It's yeah. palpable. Right. And the trouble with that world is they're going to ask questions. Right. And typically right. we feel insecure if we can't answer the question. Yeah. Now maybe that's because of the way that I teach. It's called Socratic teaching. I never answer questions. I ask the questions. I don't give the answers. You're right. responsible to, to develop your thinking patterns such that you can come to the answers. I tell people in service classes when somebody comes to their door asking a question, no, 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 no. Tell me what the answer is and why. You're not allowed. I don't let you park your brains at the door when you come to work. Come on. Right. It's, That's right. It's the, I'm, I'm really worried about this chasm that is starting between the older generation and the younger generation. Because our future as older people, our future depends on you. Right. right. I don't know why people don't get that. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree, and I think that you know you talked about your your um, your your teaching method, and I know you you know you've been a trainer, and that's one of the things that I enjoyed about always enjoyed about training is that um, is that a lot of times I was in that room with um, you know an, an up and coming group of workers who were excited to learn, right? They were excited to be there. 
And uh, what I noticed was that, you know, the, the, the trainers that really enjoyed the job, that had fun, they could, they could harness that excitement, right? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't stifled uh, due to, listen, we're going to stick exactly to this lesson plan. We're not going to divert from this whatsoever. Do not use your imagination. I'll be your imagination for you, right? That's, that's the trainer who doesn't have any fun, <laughs> who doesn't enjoy that work, right? Um, that can be kind of difficult to do on the technical side because a lot of times, you know, you know, you work for an OEM as a trainer, there, there's some kind of key things you have to do um, so, in that course. But I think so, the messaging is so, so important in the beginning. I agree. So stay there for a second and let me pick on something just to show you how weird I am. Yeah. Teaching is the word, not training. Yeah. yeah. Training is showing you what to do. Teaching is empowering you to learn yourself. My job as a teacher is to teach you how to, you, so you don't need me anymore. You can teach yourself. Your job as a trainer is to replicate your skills and, and the process that your employer is providing. I know that's picky, but it, that, that word says something that bothers the hell out of me. This is how you do it. What? You know, so my example always is the steam engine to the electric motor. Magnificent change caused by technology took a generation before the tool was used effectively. Kaizen, continuous improvement, morphed several times. Six Sigma, 5S, 7S, all of this other stuff. Different names, different pricing for consultants. But if you go around to dealers and OEMs today and the construction equipment, heavy equipment world, they don't do continuous improvement hardly at all anymore. Right. And that's embarrassing. You know, who's the number one car manufacturer in the world today? Who was it 50 years ago? General Motors. Who is it today? Volkswagen. Who's number two? Toyota. Where's General Motors? I don't know, somewhere down the pile. How did that happen? Okay, right. so let's go to the next step. Here comes the technicians, the automotive industry, all three of them seem to have come up with a contract. The wage is going to be 40 bucks an hour for somebody in the production floor, repeating the same job over and over again. How much should a technician get relative to that? UPS is hiring Christmas people this year, 21 to $23 an hour. What do we start a technician at? What do we start somebody in the parts department at? Yeah. We 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 are not looking at the work properly. And I don't know how the heck I can get that across. Am, am I wrong, yeah. Isaac, to be saying things like this? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, mean, I think that um there's definitely a and this is something that I this is something I I actually talked with a uh guy who's in charge of a diesel technology program um, just this week about this. And um, we, we talked about like the, the, there's obviously a pay gap. Uh, yeah, you could actually become, I think you and um, uh, Alex, I think talked about before about um, you know, coding, right? Why do, why do parents want to send their kids to coding school, right? Like, well, there's obviously a, a, a potential there, right? So yeah, I don't disagree. There's definitely an issue with 
compensation. One thing I will say though, um, and, and I think this comes from kind of my roots in, in Komatsu is that when I look at this, I see that yes, there is a, yeah, I, I think tech, I think most technicians are worth way more than they're paid. Absolutely. I, I work when I was a technician, I worked way harder for the money that I made than I probably should have. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I enjoyed the work. And one of the benefits of working, let's just, you know, we, we talk about just a diesel technician working for an OEM or working for a dealer. Um, when I clocked out at the end of the day, it might have been a long day, but when I clocked out at the end of the day, I physically couldn't take my work with me. I was done. There was going to be no more work until I clocked in the next day. So I had margin in my life. I had more margin in my life than I've had since because now I can send an email. Oh, I, I work from home. Well, that means I can work all the time, right? <laughs> now you don't have to do that, but the nature of a motivated person is to just constantly work. And what, what, I, what I have discovered is that, yeah, there's a, there's a pay gap with technicians, sure. Um, maybe it's not the best paying job per the work and calories burned on the job. Got it. Get it. Understand that. But what I really like about this is that still to this day, you know, you have margin in your life. When you go on vacation, there's, there's no way you can fix that, that dozer while you're at the beach. It's just not going to work. You can't, you're not, you're not working while you're supposed to be on vacation. You're not working where you're supposed to focus on some other task. And what I learned um, really at Komatsu was, you know, having, and, and the, the Japanese sort of, I think, get this, um, the, the Japanese work culture has this stigma about sort of working yourself to death, right? Uh, there's even a Japanese word for that, for someone who just works themselves to absolute death to the, you know, that, that, that uh, to their end. But, you know, when, when you really embrace that culture, especially like Kaizen, what you find is it's not about the necessarily the amount of work you do, it's the amount of focused work that you do. So, you know, the, the, the time that, and I noticed this at Komatsu, right? So the, when I could spend an hour focused on work where I had zero interruptions. I was focused on work that I was interested by. Uh, I was focused on work that uh, made a difference. There was a larger picture to the work I was doing. When I was doing work that actually had like a physical interaction for that hour of time, that two hours, that three hours, I could accomplish way more and feel more accomplished by the end of that time than I could working that same amount of time with multiple distractions on work that I wasn't ever really going to master, right? And so, so what I've discovered, and it took me, it's taken me time to figure this out, right? Very blatant and obvious. But when I look at diesel technicians today, you know, heavy equipment technician, you feel whatever that title needs to be, there is a value in that work that I think it goes beyond 
you know, comparing that pay grade to, to some other worker in an adjacent industry or an unrelated industry. Um, and that is you have time to focus for the most part, my experience. Um, and you also have margin, right? So, so maybe you work long hours, but there's, there's margin in your life because you can't physically be there to do that work while you're not supposed to be working. And for me, that's been a, a very apparent thing. Uh, I've had to set some real boundaries professionally because like I have, you know, I have four kids, right? I have four girls. So when I'm done with work, I need to stop focusing on that work, start focusing on my family and my kids. Um, because if I try to focus on both, I'm probably not gonna be productive at both, right? Um, so what I, what I take from Komatsu uh, in that culture is, a lot of times there are there are lifelong benefits that you gain by lowering the importance on what you're going to be compensated and raising the importance on how fulfilled am I going to be in this work? Um, what kind of mastery am I going to achieve in this work? Uh, and what is the product of this work going to be? Because I can tell you work that has a product like fixing a loader at the bottom of a quarry uh, before the rain comes in, right? Before the first snow falls and to see that thing get fired up and get back to work, that's rewarding. For me, it was. I think for a lot of people, it would be. Um, and, and then when you're done with that, going home and having no more work to do because you physically can't do it so you can take that attention and focus on something else, that's 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 very valuable. I, I you you can't put a dollar value on that ability. There's people who they go back. You know, I talk with a lot of people who we kind of reminisce about being a technician or working. You know, living that life, and that's one of the things we a lot of times conclude is you know what I really missed about that was when I was done working, there was no more work that could be done because I physically wasn't there. Right. And I had time to focus on something else. You might be tired. Right. <laughs> you know, your, your, your knuckle might be busted. Right. But you have margin in your life. And there are very few career paths right now that still offer that. Um, um, and so um, that's, that's something that I've reflected on a lot. Uh, other than the physical repair and maintenance of things, there's no job that has a margin. <clears throat> I used to go to bed with a pad and pencil beside my on my nightstand. And when I woke up, I'd write something down. I stopped doing that, Isaac, when I couldn't read my writing in the morning. Right. I ran a, a computer shop. So we're seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and the phone would ring. <clears throat> That's that guy coming to the door to answer a, ask a question. So I put the phone on my wife's side of the bed and they stopped calling because they'd wake her up and they knew I would not be a happy person the next day when I saw them. Right. The compensation is not a motivator at all. Never mm -hmm. has been. I don't believe it ever will be. It's a demotivator, though, if you don't feel that you're being treated properly. So I'll give you an example. I was working for that cat dealer in 1969. I was hired by the VP finance and the data processing guy to work in the parts department 
And the general manager of parts never really spoke with me. The first time we had our conversation is when I had my salary review at the end of June. Yeah. So I'd been there three months. And he said to me, this is an older gentleman, a really good guy. He'd been there forever. He said, we're really pleased with you. We'd like to, you know, to, I, we know you're on a contract, but we hope that you can become a full-time employee. We want to give you $2 July 1st and $3 January 1st as a raise. And I'm making, I think, $435 a month. So work the arithmetic, five bucks on 400. It's not very much. My response kind of shocked him. He said, I stood up and I said, well, I, I appreciate that. But how about you keep it? Because obviously you need it more than I do. And I left. Six months later, I'm his boss. We had a very interesting performance review that referenced that discussion. He was a product of his time, Isaac. I'm not being critical of him. I'm being critical of the right. activity. I'm never critical of an individual. I'm always critical of the thing that they do, not the person that they are. Try. The, the other attribute that you go back with the technicians and vacations. In Europe, you're not allowed to have email after hours. Right. I don't know anybody that doesn't get emailed. Like I answer them at two in the morning because I'm all over the world. And I've got a friend of mine who says, you ever sleep? Because every time I send you a text, you respond in 15 to 30 minutes. doesn't matter what time of the day or night. He said, I don't know where you are anymore. We're all nuts. Yeah. But it's because we, and it's not everybody, but it's clearly you, and I think it's me. We want it. We want it accomplish everybody wants to do a good job everybody can do more than what they think they're capable of and everybody is fundamentally lazy so you're going to find an easy way but i don't know that the younger generation realize that that's how we are thinking because we don't communicate that to them here's your job come on in here's your wage thank you very much you might be bored i don't give a damn finish the job that's right you might have a better way to do it. Yeah, don't do that. We've been doing it this way for 50 years. What makes you think you're smarter than the collective knowledge? Man, technicians or change that around. The elite decided about 50 years ago, university was the avenue. 50% mm -hmm. of the technical schools in this country have closed over the last 25, 30 years for lack of attention. We don't have any more tool and die makers anymore. Of course, technology does that all now. But we sure. were the tool and die capital of the world. Yep. Right. It's, a, it's amazing. Um, right. So, I, you know, <clears throat> the three reasons. Stability. A, a person who has technical skills who can fix things will always have a job. The ability to segment your life into work home there was a book written in the 80s by a mit professor peter singe is his name called the fifth discipline it said that people that work for themselves should plan their vacation time a year in advance otherwise they won't get any and if you think about it that's what i used to do so after I read that book, I don't remember when it was, late 70s, maybe early 80s, we always sat down in the fall and planned the whole year. Tried. And we followed it. So I get married. 
my wife worked to get vacations. I'd taken a week vacation in 10 years. But six months after we're married, we went to the Virgin Islands for a month. No cell phones. I had two projects. One was a facility going up, about 300,000 square feet, 30 foot tall, an automated warehouse, and a computer system going in. I was going nuts. This wonderful woman that I'm still married to, 50 years later, allowed us to go back after three weeks because I was going nuts. I go back to work on the Monday. Everything's fine. They didn't miss me at all. Everybody commented on how relaxed I was. I went home that night and I said, if I do that to you again, I want you to bend me over and kick me in the ass because that's stupid, man. And I can't right. imagine how many people on the planet do that every year, disappoint their family. There's a video on YouTube called Look Up. If you get a chance, watch it. <clears throat> the image on the screen has three women. So that's the one to do. And it's about our cell phones. Mm -hmm. My wife and my granddaughter were sitting five feet apart on the couch in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago on their phones, not talking to each other. I walked in from the other end of the apartment. Look at you. And they looked up and said, what do you mean? Look at you. What are you doing? Oh, and they both put their phones down. It's not sizing. Yeah. And it's every yeah. aspect of our lives. And yeah. we haven't given the young people, the high school kids, any help in trying to navigate their way through that. That's the message I got right. from your blogs and Alex Kraft's blogs and Sarah Hanks, who talked about doing higher experience or education. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I, so I, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a critical time to master the messaging. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's a critical time to, it's a critical time to make sure that, to make sure that the, 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 the work kind of age group here that we're targeting, that, that they get to have the, the, the experience, like the experience that I had, you know, I tell, um, I talk. I talked with my my buddy recently. He's he works at a technical college to this day, um, and we we both we both happen to be um, in in school together uh, in a in an engines class, and um, he said, you know, what like Isaac, what was it that about just the time in training? that really got you excited where you decided like, this is what I really want to be good at, right? This, this is what I want to do. This is the feeling that I want to have over and over again. And, um, we, we, it's funny, we both talked about our, um, our trainer, our, who was a teacher, right? Yeah. The title of trainer, but was a teacher, um, had, had walked us through the steps of rebuilding this, this engine, you know, we did this basically in frame overhaul and, um, we, we got it started, right? It's cranked for the first time. It came alive, right? It had not, we had not heard it run before and we assembled this thing, uh, and it fires up Wow! and it was huge for us. Right. So we had done that before, right? We had, we had, we had, we had 
made something start before, right? But we'd never done that with a team, with a group of people that we liked, that we bonded with and had this experience with to gain this result. And so that's like the thing that we've been chasing after, right? So maybe it's not us now, but I can tell you that as a trainer, as a teacher, uh, I have led many groups to be able to experience that same that same feeling, right? That same sort of excitement, right? And maybe it's not for everybody. Maybe maybe everybody doesn't get excited about it. I, I don't know, but I can tell you the groups that I've that I've interacted with who had that experience, they're still working in the in the industry today. They they've stayed relatively close to that uh, for the most part, and I think it's. You know, just like a young person who constantly has their head buried in their phone, they're being programmed, right? They're experiencing something that they're trying to recreate over and over and over again. And and if if this industry, if we don't do that, if we don't give them some experience that they want, that they attach themselves to and want to create over and over again, then we're going to lose out to multi-billion dollar companies uh, even down to individual creators of content that are working to steal attention uh, away from the the people that that we need, right? So uh, that we need so so badly, and who would be a great fit, right? Um, people who would otherwise find great enjoyment in being a technician, if they never have any experience, don't experience the emotion, um, and gain some sentimentality very early on. Uh, it you know it might be too late. They may they may you know they may move into some other area where it's so hard for them to make that that move that they just don't do it. Uh, and so I can say yeah, early on we we've got to make sure they can get that experience. Yeah, we got to get I, our messaging I, I right. I think your your statement about messaging is is the critical one. Everybody should have the opportunity to do something that they wanna do, that they're excited about doing. We've got all of the expressions, you know, find a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> you know? Right. So, right. you know, that, that feeling of self-satisfaction, of self-esteem, of self-worth is something that I think we owe to people to talk about as teachers. Again, not using the word trainer. Here's here's another word that drives me crazy. Commission or incentive. Right. Words make a damn difference. So this messaging, Mary, I'd like you to be a mechanic. I hired the first mechanic at the Caterpillar Dinner in Montreal. Caused all kinds of hassle because what do you do about bathrooms? Don't think about those things, right? Sure. We got to think about those things. So you're in high school, you're 14, 15, 16, or middle school, whatever it is down here, 14, 15, 12, 13. I want you to start being selfish and thinking about yourself. What do you like? Who do you like? Why do you like? I used to, we had a cafeteria. I'd go in and, and I'd look to see who was having lunch with them each. That tells you something about the whole group. Never ask somebody right. what they're bad at. Ask them what they're good at. It, they'll, you'd have to stop them from talking about it. But if you take what you're best at to its full extent, 
It's your biggest weakness. I'm really analytical. You don't get anything done. You know, it's it's very very plain in so many ways. I I I think this is. I hope this has been beneficial for those of you listening. I I've enjoyed hearing your perspective, Isaac, and I think you're absolutely on the money. Um, but I think it's up to us to to craft the message that can get across to kids, children. I don't care the age I'm calling them children as opposed to adults. Sure. That that resonates with them. When I was teaching, everybody at university, everybody wants, here's the book. What are you going to do next life here? Well, I don't know. Well, we got to prepare. I said, no, you don't. You you prepare when you're here. You master it after the here is over. Used to drive them crazy. Why did I do that? Because they organize themselves that somebody would attend the lecture and take the notes and they'd all share it. They didn't need to be here. Well, if I didn't tell them where it was going to be, they had to be there. Guess what? Right? I'm pretty old-fashioned. With And teaching's been, my daughter teaches. She loves it. Absolutely loves it, like you. The, when you see the lights go on in people's eyes, that they get it, it's phenomenal. There's no feeling better than that in the world. But we got to make sure that the people that are, they, let me broaden the range, 12 to 18, yep. start thinking about what's going to make them happy for the rest of their lives. It's not money. It's not sex. It's not necessarily the job function. What is it? And start thinking about it and pursue it. And you might not be right. You might have to change three or four times. Big deal. Thank you, Isaac. That's right. I've That's enjoyed right. this. It, uh, yeah, great discussion. Yeah, I hope it's been helpful to everybody. So you want to give us any closing comments, any words of wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I'll just say this. I think that you know, if, if you're listening to this uh, from the industry, from an OEM, from a dealer, even from an adjacent industry, I think right now the the, the message that you send to this group we're talking about, 12, 18 years old, is extremely important. So choose your words wisely. And don't just stop at the messaging either. If there is an opportunity to give them an experience, give them the experience. Let them, let them feel that feeling. Um, let, them, let them want to create, you know, recreate uh, that, that experience that they had interacting with the industry. Uh, specifically in this technician role. So I would say choose your words wisely, master the messaging, and if there's a chance to give them an experience, don't hesitate to do it. Thank you very much, Isaac, and thank every one of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this, and I look forward to having you with another candid conversation in the near future. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.